Today's going to be a little different. Uh, as you can tell, we just did one song and we're kind of heading where we're going because it's going to be long. You're welcome. Uh, uh, a couple things. If you get our prayer list, you will notice on there a lady named Connie. Connie is a lady that, that goes to Element. She's actually going to Thailand. She's leaving tomorrow as part of her uh, kind of fill it out where she's going to be trip. And what she's doing in Thailand is she is working with like sexually broken, working in the slave trade, not a slaver herself, but you know, trying to help these kids have been in the slave trade and taking that back some type of normalcy of life and, and loving them how God would want them, want to love them. So if you see that on our prayer list, make sure you pray for her uh, every day because she really needs it. And I'm sure that uh, she'll be really blessed by your prayers. Next week, uh, we are going to four services. Uh, if you came last week, thanks for coming back this week. <laughs> because there, we only have 137 chairs in this room. We had 172 people in this room last week. And the people sitting up and down the hallway and standing in the doorways. So uh, next week, everybody will have chairs. Everybody, If you want to, we're going to do, like I said, four services. First one's going to be at 845 in the morning. So feel free to go there. Uh, we're going to go, this one we're going to split. We're going to go 10 o'clock and 1130. Okay, so you choose 10 o'clock, 1130, choose one or the other. And if one's really full, just go to the other. There you go. See how simple it is? You get out of here in time for lunch, like at 1230, you'll, you'll be great. Uh, and then we're going to do a Sunday night service at 630 at night. So grab all your drunk buddies that can't get out of bed and bring them down here. And we'll give them the gospel. So on the 21st, uh, we're doing our next men's breakfast. Uh, you can, there's a sign-up sheet in the back. If you're a dude, sign up for the men's breakfast. Uh, Rink Ayers is going to be talking at it. You probably don't even know who he is. But so we're talking about legacy. His grandfather died a, a couple weeks ago. And his grandfather had a great legacy. So he's going to be talking about that. So you should come and check that out. Sign up. You get breakfast. Uh, I'm hoping Paul Spencer makes me some uh, really flimsy bacon this time. Last time, they made, like, maple sausage, and I'm like, ooh. This is a reason why you separate your sausage from your pancakes, because you don't want it to taste like, if you like that kind of. Okay, so men's breakfast. Uh, it, in case you forgot, if you're uh, one of the deacons or deacon candidate, we're having a deacons meeting right after the service in the back. Ultimate Frisbee is at, normally at 3 o'clock, but today it's canceled. Ryan Edwards is doing a ping pong tournament. Is Ryan in here right now, anywhere? Ryan? Anybody know where Ryan Edwards lives? Right there. See these two guys? If you want to go to the ping pong tournament, talk to them, and they will tell you where Ryan lives. Or if you're bored tonight, buy some toilet paper and go by his house, and they will tell you where he lives. Uh, college Bible study is actually going to start this week. Uh, is Matt here yet? Mark, where are you, Matt? Stand up, Matt. Just stand up. This is Matt. Okay, uh, if you would like to go, you want directions to know when it is, come and talk to Matt. It's going to be at his place until we fill it up and we bust out the walls, then it'll go somewhere else. You're good to go. So last week we had the Super Bowl party in here. It's over. They're not listening now. This is, wait, got another picture of halftime. This one's better. Wait, where is it? Let's see it. You got to drink the Kool-Aid, wear the tennis shoes and the glasses when you come here. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, great. Why don't you guys stand there reading God's Word? Oh, and next week, if you guys took some baby bottles home with you for the CareNet fundraiser, don't forget to bring them back next week. They're due next week. Don't just leave them in your fridge and drink milk out of them. We're feisty, apparently. Okay. John, uh, this is John 6.19. It says, When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. 
Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we would not be uh, people who are terrified of you or the things that you long to teach us. I ask that our minds and hearts would be open, that you would speak deep truths to us so we would know how to live and walk in your ways, and that we would honor you, and in so honoring you, love the world around us. Amen. Have a seat. Today, you are going to get some theology. We're going to cover over 50 verses today. Uh, The disciples call the words that Jesus says today hard words. At the end, I'm going to actually let you guys ask some questions. That's why we did one song. I did announcements. We're going right into this because, once again, it's going to be long. Uh, So if it's your first time here today, welcome. (laughs) Good for you. Uh, my job today, it is, it is not to package Jesus so you buy him. It is to show you who he reveals himself to be in Scripture. That's my job. Uh, again, today might be long. I'm going to try and bring it down as much as I can. But typically, uh, I would have done this in three different sermons rather than one long one. But we are gonna, John's going to take us into the middle of July at this point. I'm sure, I'm sure you're just going, someday I want to get out of John. Yes, me too. So we're going to just do one long one today. Uh, if you're new, like I said, we're going through the Gospel of John. If you brought a Bible, open to John chapter 6. And John, you get to see a unique picture of uh, how Jesus' best friend John saw him. So in John chapter 6, the beginning of it, what you saw was Jesus preach, teach, and feed 20,000 plus people. At this point, these people want to take Jesus and they want to make him their king on their own terms. Because everybody loves a king who can feed you and heal you. So Jesus retreats from this crowd to go pray. He puts his disciples in a boat, sends them across the river. And I think this is really interesting because this is the most popularity Jesus has had up to this moment. And he kind of makes a run for it. He just kind of goes like, you guys go and I'm going to go pray and hide. And you guys go. I thought it was funny, but nobody. First service didn't think it was funny either. Only me. After the disciples row three and a half miles out, there's this huge storm on the lake. Jesus walks to them on the water to meet them. And so he hops in the boat. The boat reaches the other side. This is where we start, John 6, 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. So 20,000 people there, they get fed, and now Jesus disappears. Everyone in the crowd and their friends are now searching for Jesus because word gets out. We found a guy that can heal us and and make us free food we don't have to work anymore so let's go find this guy and so they start looking for him if if this happened today jesus would still have a large crowd right because everybody wants freebies they want handouts so people come from all these other cities and they're all looking for jesus in the hope that the free lunch deal is still continuing so then jesus starts to speak here and he talks to the large crowd he then talks to religious people in the synagogue and then finally he talks to his disciples and he has some very strong and hard words to say verse 25 when they when they found him on the other side of the lake they asked him rabbi when did you get here it sounds all nice like hey been we just missed you it's nice to see you again jesus just starts to smack him around it's it's great jesus answered i tell you the truth one of his favorite phrases you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs but because you ate the loaves and had your feel you are looking for me because you want a free lunch 
Ouch. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Now, this is where Jesus takes the tact and where he starts going with is this idea of eternal life. The majority of people spend their time trying to fill our stomachs and how we minimize work and maximize profits. Jesus is concerned with eternal life. Eternal life, which a son of man, which is a messianic title, will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So what Jesus does and what Jesus says and where Jesus goes, he does this all on the validation of the Father. Verse 28, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? So they're like, okay, eternal life, got it, good. So what do we need to do? How do we get reconciled to God? How do we have a renewed relationship with God? How do we have hope? How do we have a renewed vision and peace and mercy? How do we do this? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Now, he says this three times in this section that we'll look at. He says it to the crowd, he says it to the synagogue, and he says it to his disciples. Salvation is an issue of believing, of faith. Faith, nothing we can do on our own. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 actually says, You have been saved by grace through faith, and this not of yourselves. So this whole idea of faith is even a gift from God. There's nothing that we do that merits this thing as the gift of God to you and I. So Jesus comes, Son of God. He pleases the Father by faith in Him. We have a relationship with the Father. We don't do anything other than believe, faith, trusting. Out of that comes the rest of our relationship with God. So this is where the crowd goes. Verse 30. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Oh, great. Okay, follow you. Great. Show me something. You ever meet people like that? It's like, oh, well, show me something. If God showed up and did this, then I would believe. No, they wouldn't. They would not believe. It's like this. Jesus just fed 20,000 people from a small sack lunch. He just walked across the lake. He calmed a storm, and they want proof that he has supernatural ability. It's like, Seriously? Really? That's what you want? I mean, Jesus is like, I fed 25,000 people yesterday. I walked across a seven-mile lake last night. Is that not a good enough miracle for you? No, apparently not, because they have something specific in mind. And what you find out is that typically God always shows up. God always works. God always does something in people's lives. But they have something specific that they want him to do. They want a miracle on their own terms. They're like, okay, well, if God shows up and God rubs my back and finds my keys that I lost last week and says nice things to me, well, then I'll believe. That's what God has to do. Run the heavens, come down, rub my back, say nice things, uh, then I'll believe. But unfortunately, God doesn't play those games. And people are like this all all the time. They they want God to come and and do something. In in this terms here, verse 31, this is the miracle they want. Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So what do they want? More bread. More bread. Jesus just made them bread. Well, Jesus, you had a good day yesterday when you fed all those people. But Moses made bread for 40 years. Come on now. They want to turn Jesus into a bakery. You provide us with free food forever, and then we'll believe. We'll follow you. I mean, people are just like that today. God, if you help me to win the lottery, then I'll believe. No, they won't. It's like you win the lottery, you get a million bucks, you go spend it all on pot, Slurpees, and beer. You'd be like, oh, and a year later, they'd be broke like they were before. Oh, what happened? I got it. You'd be like, oh, God, if you just give me a hot chick, I swear I will, I will worship you forever. They get it. No, they won't. They got their hands all over the hot chick doing all the things God says not to do. Not worshiping God. Not falling. Oh, God, just give me, give me. Oh, God, give me the perfect job, and I swear I'll worship and follow you forever. And, so they, and they start worshiping the job because that's what people do. Wow. You get to like to stare at the wall. 
right in front of the sub. I'm so sorry. <laughs> got a tree in the way. Oh, I like this. Okay. God, if you just got me a great seat in church, I swear I wish you could. Okay, I don't want to make that joke in here, not in first service, I'm telling you. God says, no, I don't play those games. Jesus is not, you know, the golden little Buddha baby that you rub his belly and go, money, money, money. That is not Jesus. He, he doesn't, put, oh, you've done it at the, at the Chinese restaurant, right? You go, ooh, yeah, okay. I do it to them all. Money, money, money. <laughs> Jesus is like, I don't play that game. That's, that's not how it works. They are comparing Jesus to Moses. They're like, if you were really good, you would be more like Moses. And so when Jesus does something amazing and he shows himself, people become greedy and they, and they demand more. Verse 32, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Jesus says, Moses didn't give you manna from heaven. God did. Moses didn't part the Red Sea. God did. Moses didn't give you water from a rock. God did. God just worked through Moses. And most of the time, if you read the story, God works in spite of Moses. He says, don't give credit to a man when credit goes to God. He says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now, this whole idea here of down from heaven, Jesus uses this phrase seven times in this section. Jesus says this over and over, I came down from heaven. I came down from heaven. Jesus gave bread that gave physical life, but his true purpose was to bring faith, true bread that gives eternal life. Verse 34. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Give us bread that leads to this spiritual life. And what you get into, again, in John's gospel is the idea of metaphor. The Hebrews like metaphors, the Greeks like metaphors, so John does this. All scripture should be taken literally, but you must find out what is plain literal versus what is figurative literal. Just because Jesus uses a figure of speech does not mean he is not being clear. Jesus uses bread. He feeds 25,000 people. Talks about manna from heaven, bread from heaven. Now he uses bread, the simple staple of every diet and every nation for all time to refer to himself. Bread from heaven. He is the bread that comes down from heaven. Throughout John, Jesus uses the, uh, these I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the vine. This goes back to Exodus 3.14. And Moses is standing before the burning bush before God. And he says, and God says, go and get my people out of there. Tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses says, who should I say sent me? And God says, tell them, I am sent you. So Jesus comes and he uses these I am statements. I am, I am, I am. And then he tacks on this metaphor on the end. I am God, here's the metaphor. And living forever becomes a concept of faith. Jesus being the bread of life. By faith we partake in of him and he dwells within us and he sustains us and he nourishes us and gives us life just like bread. Come on, people. Come on. Thank you. Just like bread. Bread, exactly. You cannot have eternal life apart from Jesus, period, period. Verse 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Again, the issue of belief. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. Some people just will not believe no matter what happens. And Jesus here, he makes a hard statement. This is how it comes to be. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. That is a hard statement. Some people will hear Jesus' words. Some people will benefit from his miracles. Some people will experience his love either directly from himself or through other people and will never come to have eternal life. Why? Because it's what the Father appointed. Hard, hard 
words. Some people hear this and they wonder, well, am I really saved? If you worry about it, you're fine, okay? You're fine. If you're like, oh, my goodness, you're okay. You're okay. This is an issue of faith and trust. William Hendrickson says this, The clause, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away, means let no one hesitate in coming. By Jesus saying, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away, seems to mean that Jesus pretty soon is going to start trying to drive people who do not believe away. You know, Jesus never labored under the assumption or the illusion that everyone would believe in him, that everyone would follow God, that everyone would love him. Jesus does not believe that everyone would have faith, that everyone would trust him. Jesus does not believe that if he just did more miracles and spent more time and preached more sermons, that anything would change in the human heart. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. There are two concepts of how this works in Christianity. People say, okay, well... I'm out, and you're searching for God. You're, you're looking for God, and, and he's like a scoutmaster in the forest with a busted compass and can't find his way, and you go and you, and you seek and seek, and then you find God. Oh, I found God. Now I get salvation because you found God. The other view is that it is not God that is lost. It is us, and that God seeks us, and God finds us, and God loves us. You see this Genesis to Revelation, God seeking and pursuing his children who run and run. God is seeking us and he finds us. I do not believe the whole world will be saved. I believe that some people can see Christ speak in person and still leave unchanged. Why? Because certain people do not have faith. They do not believe. Salvation is God's work, taking you, pulling you, and taking you to himself, loving you. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Jesus bats a thousand. He bats a thousand. Everyone appointed, he will save. In a moment, he drives them all away. The more come to him, the harder the words get. So we're going to take questions at the end now. You guys are like, yeah, got it, okay. Verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, second time he says this, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus labors for the Father's glory. It's why he didn't set up shop just making bread for the rest of his life, because he lived for the Father's glory, not his own. Again, uh, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. Again, there's a promise. If you're a believer, you're safe in his hands because the Father gave you to him. The last day will enter the finality of eternal life. Nobody can take you out of Christ's hands. Nobody. Nothing can remove you from his hands. Period. He says, my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes... There's the key. Everyone looks to the Son and believes. It is possible to have a belief in God and believe Jesus lived. It's possible to have a belief in the whole ball of wax and not possess faith. That was me until I was 17 years old. 12 to 17. I believed it. I just never had faith in it. The word believe here is much more than cognitive. Oh, mental assent. Oh, yes, I agree with that. It has to do with a deeper sense of faith that goes into our lives. Belief is life-changing, where we trust in the person and the work of Christ and we become a different person because of Christ's life in us. As a matter of fact, in the early church, in the first few centuries, if you went and said, oh, I'm a Christian, they wouldn't necessarily believe you because the, the government wanted to kill them. And so the way that they saw if you really were a believer is by how you lived, by how you lived. Now, our salvation is by grace alone, but how we live will show if we are saved or not. He says, everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Look on, believe, faith. This is a concept, and these consequences of these things lead to a good thing, eternal life. 
So they lead to you. John's concept is not so much heaven. It is eternal life, a state of being that starts the moment your eyes are open to who Jesus Christ is. And your loves change, and your hates change, and your joys change, and your conduct changes. And you become more like Jesus, and you live your life more and more for his glory and not your own. It's a status of living that, that starts the moment you're saved and continues to grow throughout your entire life. And one day you die and you resurrect and you're rid of your enemies of Satan, sin, and death. And you're fully reconciled to God and you're fully reconciled to your fellow man. You're fully reconciled to all of creation. Eternal life without end governed by God's grace. Jesus speaks these hard words. He says, not all of you will believe. Some I'm going to drive off. You're here to get your stomachs filled. But for those of you who are appointed, sleep well. Sleep well. And then there's a, a switch in the text here. And this section goes where Jesus is probably actually in the synagogue at this point. Same concept, so bread of life, you might believe, eternal life. Verse 41. At this the Jews began to grumble. Grumble. Why would they do that? Because they're like us. You're like, exactly like us. We don't like it. So we're going to be like, oh, I'm going to grumble a little bit. It rings true, but they don't like it. I'm just... Two weeks ago, I'm having this conversation with this guy. He came to Element, read all the stuff on the website, and he's just like grumbling, all kinds. And he keeps sending me stuff, and I keep talking back and forth. And eventually I asked him, I said, do you believe the Bible is the word of God? So he sends me this email reply. It's like a page and a half. Didn't answer the question. <laughs> so I asked again, and I go, do you believe the Bible is the rule for, in life for our faith? That We look at Scripture for that. And so he sends me another page, and eventually through it he said, no, because Scripture didn't agree with his opinion. And so when, if, if, scripture, if his opinion is different, then Scripture has to be wrong. It can't be him. I believe that Scripture is the rule for our faith. We follow it, period. I'm, a, I'm like a good old fundamentalist boy here. You know? <laughs> but I want to put the fun back in fundamentalist. That's, that's the deal. But seriously, I believe that scripture, scripture is it. See, these words ring true, but they don't like it. You know people are starting to get it when they start to grumble. I'm like, ah, because something is forcing a life change in people. I mean, when people are always happy about what they read in Scripture, I doubt they actually get it all. They're like, oh, this is so wonderful. And it's like, oh, wait, what? Oh, darn it, what's that? You know? When, one of the demarcations... Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, one of the demarcations of God's children is that they seem to grumble. They seem to grumble. Th these guys, they don't go talk to Jesus. Why? Because he's going to tell them the exact same thing he just told them a second ago. He's just going to keep talking about it. Some people are frustrated with God. They talk about him. They don't really talk to him. And we talk about others. It's called gossip. When we talk about God, it's called grumbling. So these people, they're like, we want to go to Jesus. And Jesus, we took a vote. 25,000 to one. You give us bread and no mean words. That's what we want. So yeah, okay. So, so someone's going to tell Jesus this. Lunch, no mean words. We're good. Okay, who's going to tell him? Everybody's like, okay, let's just grumble. And that's, that's what they do. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread, third time, that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Fourth time, like, this kid grew up around our kids. How can he be God? Verse 43, stop what? Grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. I love that. He's not like, let's talk. Let's break into small groups and talk about your feelings. He's just like, stop it. Stop grumbling. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. He says it again. The Father draws him. He tells him, don't argue with me. Your problem is not with me. Your problem is with the Father. Verse 40, 45, it is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. He is implying that the religious elite do not know the scriptures. 
He says, your problem is you don't believe the stuff you read and the stuff that you teach and the stuff that you're talking to everybody about. You don't believe it. And you argue with me about salvation because it's not up to you. It's up to God. It is none of your business. It is not our job to walk around the world and point people out and go, oh, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out, you're saved, you're not. That's not our job. Our job is to live as we're trying to bring God's kingdom to this earth. We love as God called us to love and we live in that way. It is God's job and judgment who's saved and who's not. We just love all people like he called us to. That's the point. Ah, I'm getting my soapbox here. Okay, uh, that's what I do. I get all, get all going. I, I love how when Jesus says something, they start to grumble. He just says it meaner. It's just great. It gets worse when he gets to the disciples too. He says, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. It's like, I have sat with the Father. I have authority. You want to compare resumes? Yours. Okay, blind, lost, dumb, and lame. He goes, me, God from heaven. Okay. You know, who's got authority? Who's right here? I mean, that's, that's the question. That's what Jesus says. I, I am the bread of life. Come down from heaven. Do you really want to argue? I tell you the truth, in case there was a question, he who believes has everlasting life. Again, faith, believing, trusting. I am the bread of life. Again, your forefathers ate manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat I and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, fifth time. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And she says, Amen. Here I go again. Bear with me in this, okay? Bear with me. Jesus dies for the sins of the entire world, but not everybody in the world is going to be saved. Jesus does kind things for all people, even those who will never believe. It's called common grace. Just as you and I are supposed to do good and kind things for everybody in the world, no matter what they believe. We love them because God loved them. But will everyone obtain eternal life? No, they won't. He has already said that. He's telling this to the religious people that have memorized a lot of verses. You know, it's like, oh, well, you can read a lot of scripture. You can feel guilty a lot and you can hate sin. Does that give you eternal life? No. Faith, belief, trust. Father gives that to you. How do you know you have it? You have faith. Not just information, but belief and trust. The Jews start to fight over this teaching. So unlike us, because we would never fight over this. Verse 52, Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Well, who is this guy? How can he say these things? What right does he think he has to tell us these things? In preaching and public speaking, you're told to do something that's communicate clearly. Okay? I think Jesus is very clear. I just think the way he says and uses these metaphors, they are not understanding. I think 2,000 years later, we get this, we still don't understand everything he's saying. These guys are like, he wants us to be cannibals to go to heaven. That is not what Jesus is saying. But he doesn't step into the middle of it and go, oh, no, 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 let me explain this to you. He doesn't do that at all. He doesn't try and clarify it. All he does is lets them wrestle with it, and he pushes them, and he just says it again, even better. Verse 53, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Well, that just clears it up. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I, you know, rather than saying I meant this, Jesus throws on this thing about drink my blood. How at this point, with everybody being confused, are people going to believe? Faith. Faith. Leviticus, cannibalism, drinking of blood is forbidden. That is why the Jews are arguing sharply. And Jesus doesn't even stop. He throws it on again. He says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, the, the Catholic Church has actually come, and they've taken these verses to teach a concept called transubstantiation. 
And what that means is that at communion, when you take it, the, the cracker actually turns into the literal flesh of Jesus and the wine turns into the literal blood of Jesus. Now, is, is this what Jesus is teaching? Is it anything to do with communion? No. It hasn't even happened yet. I mean, the Last Supper is just a couple of years off right now for Jesus. It hasn't happened yet. Does this have to do with eating his flesh and drinking his blood? Do they, like, rip his arm off and go, okay, I'll take this. I'll take an arm. It's, you know. No, not at all. You know, John is writing to Greeks and Hebrews, trying to bridge two worlds using metaphors. John Calvin says this, eating and drinking are metaphors for faith. You're participating and consuming what is necessary for life. So Jesus goes on, verse 55, My flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Life comes from God. When you are in Christ, you have life. This is the bread that came down from heaven, sixth time. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Now, you've got a huge crowd, huge crowd. Because you want eternal life, participate in consuming me, and you'll get eternal life. And they grumble. He goes to the temple in the synagogue. He says the exact same thing, and they argue sharply. They, they grumble about the same things. And so now he grabs his boys, he grabs his disciples, his, his Talmudin, you know, and this, okay, I got, I got my guys. Verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. His boys say this, who can accept it? And I love how the disciples, they always just state the obvious. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. The concept hard means, it means severe, it means rough. Not hard to understand, but hard to believe. It is argumentative in its tone and its style. And they say, Jesus, you are hurting our feelings the way you're saying this. You should say it much nicer. It's a hard teaching. If you said it nicer, then people wouldn't be running off. They'd, they'd stay. They say, who can accept it? Literally, this is, who is going to listen to this? Verse 61, where that his disciples were what? Grumbling. See, they're normal too. About this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Oh, did I hurt your feelings? Oh, do we need to call your mommy? You, you cannot be an easily offended coward and be a child of God because God will constantly offend you. Does that mean that God is mean? No, it means you're wrong. That's what it means. And our culture has these ideas that if someone offends somebody else, well, they've got to be in sin. You know, not necessarily. I personally have offended many people uh, by being in sin. Uh, I've been angry, prideful, arrogant, stuff like that, saying things I shouldn't have. But it is also very possible to offend people by not doing anything wrong at all has god ever offended you many people say well i don't read my bible because i don't understand it i think many people don't read their bible because they don't like what's in it they don't like the things that it says because they know what it actually says tom sawyer said something to the effect of this he said it's not the parts of the bible that i read and don't understand that bother me it's the parts i do understand that bother me (laughs) god has a lot of hard things to say to people a lot of hard things if you if you live in your parents' home, God says you are to honor your parents. You are not to be a butthole. You are to respect them and love them and do what they tell you. Period. That's it. Scripture says if you are a nagging wife, it is better for your husband to live on the corner of the roof of your house than in the house with you. Nag, 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 nag. <laughs> Scripture says you're like a dripping faucet. Drip, drip, drip. There you take it to heart. It's in there. Hard words. Scripture says that if you are a man and you are harsh to your wife, God will not listen to your prayers. 
Scripture says that if you are a man and you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. Scripture says that uh, if, if you don't take some of the money that God has given you and give it back to Him, you've robbed Him and He is mad at you. Some hard words. You get hard words in Scripture. If God has never offended you, I don't know if you've ever actually ever understood God because God offends us. Do not think because you are offended that God has necessarily done something wrong because we live in a very soft psychological day and you must learn to take offense and be offended by God. There's a saying that goes, soft teaching produces hard people and hard teaching produces soft people. If you get, all you get is Jesus loves you and a big giant blank grace check, you'll become very hard and self-righteous and very arrogant. If you receive hard instruction, not legalism, but sometimes I get up here and I beat the snot out of you, tell you to stop being nagging and start loving your wife and... I go all UFC on you or something. You become very soft and very tender. These people have received only soft teaching. They become very hard to the place where they grumble over Christ talking to them, God incarnate directly in front of them, giving them instruction, and they will walk away because they, me, you, think that we are smarter than him. We think that we know how to do it better than him. And so we grumble. And we walk away and say, I know how to do it better because you're offending me. Rather than saying, I have no idea what I'm doing. I've got to trust you. That When people just say, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's a hard heart. These people have only received soft teaching. In Matthew 7, 28, it says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Jesus taught different. He didn't teach like they were used to. He's not trying to be nice. Jesus is trying to kill us so he can resurrect us into complete people. For me, God has to talk to me this way because I am stubborn and I am strong-headed and I am arrogant and I am difficult if you don't know me. That's what I'm like. If God were not strong with me, I would be in a very, very bad place. A very bad place. I know a handful of people in my life that I cannot run over because I take a good run at it most of the time. People who care enough to shove me when I'm out of line. Those are the ones we'll actually listen to. I have actually, uh, people have come and they've, and they've talked to me about some stuff. And I've shoved so hard back that they said, I will never confront you again. You've got to be pretty strong. God's strong. I, I love the board at Element. The guys are on the board of our, because they don't let me get away with Jack. I mean, we go in there and I'll, and I'll be like, I want to run. They're all, hold on. And we, and we go. We go. It's It's great. Sometimes they're like, I don't know why you like this so much. I'm like, yeah. you know, Because <laughs> it's not that I disagree. I just like, like to go. But the board's like that. They, they don't let me get away with anything. Even this week, I was pushing at something. And they're like, bam, slow down. Pull the truck back. You know, and it's, it's good. I really respect them and love them because they're like that with me. If, if God was not like that with me, I would be in very tough shape. I am glad that when God violates me, he doesn't come and play my game. Oh, I'll hold you. Oh, I made you mad. He doesn't do that at all. If you are a child of God, you must be prepared for God to violate you and offend you and disciple you and mature you. He says, does this offend you? Verse 62, what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh accounts for nothing. This is all work of the Spirit. He opens our eyes. He shows us Christ. He gives us instruction. The flesh, our works count for nothing. Nothing. The Spirit shows us Christ. It shows us the Father. If we receive anything, we cannot boast in that because it's all been a gift to you and I. Jesus says, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. And he finally alludes to the fact that he's speaking in metaphor. 
Finally, it will take the Spirit to interpret these things so you get life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. Again, the key is faith. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. There it is again. Now, what does that tell you about Judas? Was Judas ever saved? No. Judas stole from Jesus. He didn't appreciate how Jesus was running his ministry. He wanted Jesus to do it completely different. Never believed. And yet God still used Judas' sin for God's own glory. Now, if you're a disciple, what do you do at this point? What do you do? Jesus keeps making it harder and harder. And he says, even one of the twelve are not saved. Here's my words. Don't have faith. This is what happens. Verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples, the larger crowd, turned back and no longer followed him. So that's it. I'm done. No more free sermons. No more free lunches. We're done. That's how God's going to speak to me. Then I don't want it. If that is what God is like and how he deals with me, well, then to hell with God. I'm gone. Happens all the time. People say, oh, yeah, I want to be a Christian. People claim to be Christians, and they don't even really follow Jesus because Jesus offends us sometimes. We don't like it. Jesus knew that that would happen. If you resist God, you will be offended, period. I mean, there's a myth in our world that apart from God, there's like a standard of of right and wrong and, and goodness, and when God does something wrong, we can appeal to that standard. Apart from God, there is no standard, period. Love and justice flow from his being, and what he does is just and right. Verse 67, looks at his disciples, he goes, You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. This is not a good way to grow a ministry. 25,000 to, to 12, and then he tried to kick those guys out. It's like L.A. formed Applebee's in one day. It's like, we'll take the booth in the corner. I'll just, you know, I did have a following, but they left at uh, Stoll and Broadway, so I just, we're, it's just me, you know. And so I asked him, do you don't want to leave too? Simon Peter answered, and I love this answer, Lord, to whom shall we go? Peter doesn't go, no, we don't want to go. He goes, I don't know any place to go. I just, I'm, I'm, we're kind of we're stuck here, whether I like it or not. i got no other option. You, know? you have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. We don't even like some of the things that you said. They're very hard. Some of us are offended, but there's no other way to eternal life. There's nowhere else. And Jesus doesn't back off. Verse 70. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you the twelve, yet one of you is a devil? One of you still. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. Again, Judas never believed. He was selfish and self-centered. I'm going to summarize this as, as best I can. If you have not been offended yet, I'm going to do my best to do it right now. We live in a world where you are God and you sit on your throne and you determine right from wrong and justice from evil. And this ties itself into the consumerism of our day that says the customer is always right. When it comes to God, the customer is never right. The customer doesn't even know what the customer needs. The customer thinks it knows what it needs, but the customer doesn't really know what it needs. The customer is like, ah. In our culture, you look at all of your spiritual options and you exercise your free will as king of the universe to pick yourself a God and a gospel and an eternal life, just like a capital one card. It's like, oh, what do you got? Well, in my wallet, this is who I got. And this is what we do. And what causes for people who call themselves pastors is they find a way to pitch you Jesus. You know, so they find a ways to sell you Jesus. Jesus made bread. Yes. So let's tell people they come to Jesus and they get to be rich, happy, and healthy. Jesus is like Viagra. Once you take him, everything gets better. And we tell people this. Believe Jesus, your heart will be whole. All your questions will be answered and everything will be great. Is that what happened to the 12? No, not at all. I believe their hearts are made whole. 
but but they got people resisted them. Jesus spoke hard words to them, and people then killed them. That's what they got. If this was a store, you wouldn't shop there. You'd go somewhere else. You show up and you get beaten and mocked, and they run you over in the parking lot. And like, oh, I'll go somewhere else. I don't like this store. Peter goes, where else are we going to go? God is free. God does what he wants. And that disrupts our consumer mentality. You go to a business and you say, oh, if you do this, then I'll shop here. And so we walk into a relationship with God and you say, you do this and, and I'll follow you. And God says, I don't care. Jesus says, you may not have been appointed to shop here anyway. Jesus is not concerned about our success. He's concerned about our faithfulness. People say, well, you hurt my feelings. Well, maybe, maybe. If your goal is to be adored and loved by people, then you will live differently than if your goal is to glorify God. That doesn't mean that you say, well, I'm going to follow God, so I'm going to be rude and offensive to everybody. That's not what I'm saying. When people are only, when people are only concerned, it seems like some Christians live like that. When, when people are only concerned about other people's feelings, we stop talking about sin and grace and God and man. And you simply get these sermons that are like, that are like better principles for a living. And Jesus gets pitched so you buy him. But if you're just buying Jesus because he gives you what you want, the minute he offends you, you will leave. You will leave. I would much rather have you come in here and give you the honest truth about you and Jesus. You are evil. Jesus is good. Honest truth. Becoming a Christian means you exist to, uh, to glorify God. You belong to God. You exist for God's glory, not your own. God does not, God does not exist to serve you. You exist to serve God. I will not lie to you. I will not trick you. I will be honest with you. We come here on God's terms. We don't resist the hard teachings of God, but we yield ourselves to them. And that doesn't mean that we understand everything, but we have an issue of trust and faith, and we believe like Peter. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? It's like, what else am I going to do? We submit ourselves to him, and in that there is great freedom. Now, I'm going to take some questions from you, but I'm going to answer one up front. Um, My friend Kathy San Jose and I talk about this a lot. And so I'm going to answer her question first, which I'm sure she's just biting up the bit over there. And her question is this. Well, why do we even tell people about Christ if God calls? Why do we tell people about Christ? Because he told us to. I believe that every person who calls himself a believer should be telling everybody about Jesus. This is a hard question to wrestle with because, you know, I don't think we're ever going to completely get it this side of, of heaven. If you go back to Exodus, there's this whole idea of, of Pharaoh. And when Moses goes and says, set my people free, and, and he has a hard heart, and half time it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart, the other half time it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, which is it? Well, Scripture says, yes, yes. If you look at God, God is eternal. God stands outside of time. He works and he enters time. And he creates this kind of matrix thing. And it's like, well, I don't get it. What's going on? Exactly. You know? And so we, we come up with these terms and put these things to words like predestined and elected. For God, all of history, all of human history is completed action. All of it. He sees everything in its totality and its finished form. And so God, you have God's involvement and human involvement and history seem to be working together. Do we say that God makes people sin against their will and then punishes them? No, we don't say that at all. But Ephesians 1.4 indicates that before the formation of the world... For the completed action, God determined that he would have us as, as his people and as his children, and Christ comes to make good on that promise. I do not fully understand that in the mystery of his will, but I trust his promise. If you have a Bible, open to Romans chapter 10. Basically, if you go through Romans chapter 9, Paul does this whole thing. Jesus just kind of said about you know the ones my father calls. Jesus, Paul does this whole thing through, through Romans chapter 9 where he reinforces that. 
And he talks about this. And then he says, in the middle of Romans chapter 9, he says, What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. Because we trust him. We know that God is good. So you get to Romans chapter 10, and then Paul takes and he puts this all together. He is brilliant. He is brilliant. Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 9. And so Paul brings it all together, and he says this, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the Scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls the name of the Lord will be saved. The call goes to the entire earth. Those who believe are the elect. How then can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So part of the reason that we are to go and tell everybody also is that it changes us as well, not just the people that we talk to. You go through the book of Jonah. Part of the reason that God sent Jonah to these people he hated was to change Jonah. This is a deal for us. Now, how do we know who the elect are? We preach the gospel. It's what we do. Why do we preach the gospel? Because how will they hear if we don't preach it? And you go, what? Exactly. Exactly. We don't know what God's doing. We don't know who they are. You looked at the 12, you look at Judas and say, oh, he's elect. You look at the Samaritan woman at the well, multiple husbands, pagan religion, oh, she's not. But then what happens? Judas not denies Christ. The Samaritan woman becomes an evangelist and reaches her entire town. Hard teaching. What makes it easy is trusting in the goodness of God. God is good. You cannot divorce the goodness and hopefulness and love and grace of who God is from this concept because it all goes into this concept. We have no right to stand in a ring with God and argue with Him about His freedom and His right and His justice. We simply trust and believe like Peter. Okay. So, questions? Guys, like, oh my goodness. What about kids? Like what? Like an age of accountability thing? That's not really in scripture. But uh, what you have to do when you look at scripture is you look at who God is. You look at His personality. You look at how He has revealed Himself to be. And so I really don't worry about kids because I think God takes care of that. Because I mean, the thing with this is. In this theology, in this mindset, this frees us up a lot. We live in much liberty and freedom in this. Imagine if, you know, God tells us to spread the gospel all over the world, right? So, so we're supposed to go and we do that. Our neighbors, our friends, and Thailand, where Connie's going, okay? So you go everywhere. But imagine this. Imagine if uh, the, the gospel and the proclamation of that and how people receive it is all based upon you. Well, what if they don't believe? Well, maybe you didn't say it right. Well, maybe you weren't creative enough. Well, maybe you just didn't do something right, and that's why they didn't. This gives you much freedom. You just tell everybody. You go, I'm telling them all. And God's like, good, I'll take care of the rest. Much liberty, much freedom, much freedom. Yes? A lot of loves in there, don't you? <laughs> no, okay. Um, th- this, is, this is kind of the question, or kind of the answer in the question. We don't know who's saved. That's in God's hands. I think people who trust Jesus, who have faith, they're saved. 
I mean, that's, I mean, it, you would not have somebody who's going, oh, I really want to worship and love Jesus, who really doesn't. I mean, there's some people who use it for their own gain. But again, that's still in God's hands. I think that God's going to save more people than we would ever imagine because it's in his hands. Uh, that kind of goes into the question of why do people go to hell? You know, well, does God then send people to hell if that's the case with, with calling? This is the thing. Uh, people go to hell because they sinned, period. That's it. Uh, sin causes death. God says in, in Genesis chapter 2, he says, you eat of this tree, you'll die. You sin, you die, period. That's the consequences. And he does this knowing they would still sin. He gives them opportunity to determine obedience. God wants a relationship of love. God can make them obey, but that wouldn't be love. Hold on, let me finish this. Then we'll come back, okay? The scandal for me is not that anybody goes to hell. It's that anybody goes to heaven. If I said to you, if, if you break into my house, I will shoot you. Right? And then you break into my house, and I shoot you. You should not be surprised that I shot you. Because <laughs> I told you I would shoot you. God says you sin, you die. That's it, right there. And then we get all bent out of shape. Why? God's like, I told you. <laughs> Just sin, you die. And then other people get all bent out of shape because God still decides to save some? That's grace. That is grace. The issue of substitution is that God shot himself in our place because God's justice demands punishment and death, but in his kindness he punishes himself and we receive grace. I, I have no problem with, with the guy that goes to hell. I am always amazed that God takes so many and saves them and sends them to heaven. I really am. Jew. Okay. What flavors? Pardon? What flavors? Oh, we say they're all the same. Okay. They all come to the church. But you go to their, one person's house and he's got crosses everywhere and prayers and he's been praying all the time. And you're like, ooh, they're weird. And you got the other guy, you go to his house and you don't see anything there or in his life that really makes him look like a Christian, but he says he is. Mm-hmm. And he really believes. Mm-hmm. Somewhere, we're all in the middle somewhere. Mm-hmm. How do we know in our hearts whether or not we're going to be saved and whether we're really doing enough? Because you ask yourself the question. That's faith right there. I mean, you want to know. You want God. I want to serve and follow you. We don't have any right to judge those other people. I mean, some people, God loves diversity. If he didn't, we would all look exactly the same. I'd make a weird cartoon reference, but you never get it. Um, we, would, we would all look exactly the same, but God loves diversity. God, God loves that the things that have shaped you in your life has made you who you are. You know, and maybe for you, that means you hang a hundred crosses in your house. It's hoping a vampire doesn't show up or something. You know, you're like, oh, you know. If you walk into my house, I, I, don't, I, I don't have a cross on the wall. I, I don't have anything. I, it, for me, it's, it's my lifestyle and how I live and how I love that should show who Jesus Christ is. I, I, necessarily, I, I don't put a, I got an element sticker on my car, but I don't, I don't put Christian stickers on my car. Well, first off, because I think they're lame. But, but two, sorry if you've got one in your car. Uh, but, but two, but two, it should be how I live. I shouldn't have to say, oh, look at this. This is what I am. It should be evident by how I live my life. Right. But, it's, but once again, it's not our job, job to judge their salvation. It is our job to still love them. And sometimes loving them says, 
you're an arrogant jerk. You need to, you need to knock it off because no one's going to love Jesus because of the way you live. It turns people off. So, I mean, and part of it, it I mean, where you get offensive sometimes. And not, not just you're like, oh, where's all the jerks so I can go tell them off, you know, because then you're being a jerk, you know, then I'll tell you, stop being a jerk. Uh, but you, you look around and, and you live and you, you love them. Sometimes the best way to love somebody is to honestly get in their grill and say, yes. I've had a lot of people ask what was possible means your salvation. Uh, I, th- this, is, this is more the question for me. Uh, when you read scripture, especially how Jesus taught, the question is not, can someone lose their salvation? The question is, can Jesus lose a Christian? And the answer to that verse is no. Everyone in his hand, he keeps safe. All right, so we're going to play some songs now. <laughs> some good reformed songs. <laughs> Want to take that with you? And at this point, I mean, first service, I got done, and I'm like, okay, oh, I got to talk about communion. So, we, this is one of the things. We, we come to communion every single week because it helps refocus and gets our minds where they're supposed to be. In, in communion, this is the thing. Jesus came and he died and he rose because to follow through on God's promises to his people. And so we come to this place and, and we take communion because communion reminds us every week that Jesus' body was broken for us. I got a cracker. It's like, you just, no, keep it, keep it. You don't put it back on Okay, okay. It would be like... And you break the cracker, and it reminds us of Christ's body, which was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice, which reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I. She's like, I want one too? Just a minute. Just don't be like, ah, stick it back. <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes. That's what we got. Um... So we worship God through communion. Uh, we're going to worship God. There's pr- guys who will pray with you somewhere in the room uh, or by that door. If you need, <laughs> if you need prayer, uh, if you're like, man, I, I really want to sing and follow God. I want to be secure in this thing that I believe. Pray with them. They'd love to pray with you. They would love to pray with you. Jesus is good. He is good. I cannot express to you how wonderful and good he is. Uh, we're going to worship God through giving. There's an offering box on the side wall in the back of the room. We're going to sing some songs that... You know, refocus us a little bit. Good redeemed song. Um, and then uh, we're going to worship God through fellowship. Hopefully you guys will hang out, get to know some people, maybe make some connections. Because that's, that's part of it too. I mean, God redeems us so that we can have relationships with each other as well and spur each other on. And then again, once you guys leave these doors, you live out there, out there, how God calls us to live and love this world. It is so much. We come in here, we gather together, and we worship God, and we're like, yeah, Jesus is good. Yes. Yes, he is. So let everybody know by how you live. I don't want you standing in your cubicle in your office going, Repent, sinners. You're arrogant. You're a... How many crosses you got in your house? You know, okay. but, you know, you need to live. You guys are going to go home and take all your crosses down, right? <laughs> now, they're cool. I mean, they're cool. I just, hey, whatever. Anyway, so you go and you live because it, it shouldn't have to be something that they see over here it should be something how we live our life let jesus let people see who jesus is by how you live your life that's what's important let's pray father this morning we as a people thank you for giving us hard words that that sometimes make us grumble but god in that grumbling i ask that we would always turn back and trust you no matter the things we don't understand and that one day everything is going to make sense 
we're going to be like, oh, that was so simple. God, I ask that you would make us a people who truly trust you and honor you as our God and our King. We thank you for for giving your life for us. We thank you for calling us and, and making us your own. And we thank you for also putting some of this calling in our hands where you send us out. And you don't just save us to have us sit here. You, you save us so that we begin to work and, and live the life that you have always longed for your people to live. We thank you for the strength to do that, but I ask that you would teach us how to live in that strength and to love as you love. Amen.